and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, where I introduce myself, Teresa, and me, Angie. And I say it in such a way that gets her to crack up, and she's trying to not <laughs> laugh into the mic. Um, but welcome. We're here to tell you the crazy history that we are just going to devour offline just because that's who we are. And then we're going to tell each other history stories and you're deciding to join us. And I think that's fabulous. Yeah. And we hope you like it. Um, and if you don't, sorry, we do. I mean, um, and if you don't like it, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. I mean, say you're allowed to say any nice thing you want, but if you want to say a mean thing, close your mouth first. Yeah, remember what your mother always said. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I thought that was... That's what Bumper's mother said. That's a lie. Actually, I was about to say, most like, mo- my mother just swore. Yeah. I was going to say, like, if m- most moms would be like, find a nice way to say the mean thing. Like, bless her heart. Mm. <laughs> I mean, Whatever. you could say anything, truly, <laughs> you know? Um yeah, you know, if you've got really scathing corrections, we'll give you an email at the end of this where you can, you know, send it, but type it only with your middle fingers. If you're going to send us a complaint, make sure that you fully lean into it. I'm actually now looking forward to reading those. Thanks. I mean, <laughs> and that is Angie.Craig. <laughs> at... <laughs> oh, actually, no, that's not my name. Never mind. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the wrong podcast. I know. Oh, um, weird, weird. Uh, I think my grandmother's on fire. I've got to go. <laughs> my mom's calling. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> so I know you've been like you told me recently that you've been thinking about the story you want to tell me for literally ten years. Yes. Okay, and like. What, what what prompted it back into your brain? What did you see like your old poster? <laughs> yeah, you know, like my boy band posters from high school. Um, no, it's literally something that crosses my mind all the time because it has yet to be resolved. It's a it's a um unsolved mystery. Historical code cold case? I wouldn't call it a cold case because um I don't think murder was involved. Well, at some point, murder was involved, but not for this part. You'll get it. You'll get it. When I get there, you'll get it. It I want to get it now. I'll give it to you now if you want me to go first. or What what do you want? I'll I'll go. I mean, we didn't fully do this offline like we should have, like we didn't rock, paper, scissors. Um, But I did the intro. Okay, then I guess I go first. All right. I'm here for it. Okay. So... I'm just going to disclaimer this right off the bat. My sources for this are so suspect, like sketchy, like the kind of suspect when your toddler is all of a sudden quiet. Bathroom walls. Please say bathroom walls. Reddit. I mean, it's close to bathroom walls is my best source. Okay. Okay. I don't speak German. And um, the lovely German speakers of Reddit have helped translate a lot of the personal comments and um, histories of this area. So thanks, German-speaking Redditors. <laughs> uh, so that being said, uh, in English, my story is about the Dark Countess. In German, they are referred to as the Dunkelgrafen. Oh, that just sounds like you, you'd cry. It's under my bed. It reminds me of Dr. Doofenshmirtz from Phineas and Ferb. I've never seen Phineas and Ferb. Oh, if you get a chance. Some of the best cartoon TV right there. Better and than over, Archer? Uh, in my opinion, yeah. Really? Yeah, and like, it's it, it's kid-friendly. It's like family. It's family fun, so... um. But see, maybe that's why I like Archer, is that it's not kid-friendly. Like, I just I just want to see something animated so inappropriate that I'm like, please don't walk in the living room. Please don't. You're supposed to be in bed. Stay in bed. Stay in bed. Stay in bed the whole time. Have you seen the Hitman monkey? The monkey Hitman? I'll have to get with Ian on how what it's actually called, but that's like that. Okay. 
Yeah. I'll text you the name because I'm, th- I'm thinking I'm saying it wrong. I think it's the monkey hitman, but that feels wrong. So anyway. Yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> so my story starts in 1795. Okay. Good year. <laughs> For some, but not others. Um, after several years of being imprisoned at about the age of 18, uh, Maria Therese Charlotte, the last surviving child of Marie Antoinette, is released from the Temple Prison. She begins traveling under the name Sophie to Austria. This story is not about her. But relevant. <laughs> but to say, because that is the weirdest. Hey, so you know everything about squares and how they're shaped and all of their <laughs> angles. Yeah, we're not talking about them at all. This is chocolate. Yeah, well, I mean, like, eventually this chocolate might be a square, but um, it, anyway, that's important information. You just need to know that she left prison in 1795 at a roughly the age of 18 years old and begins traveling to Austria to her living family's homes. Okay. Okay, so, and she travels by the name of Sophie. Twelve years after this, A couple shows up to a sweet little sleepy village in the middle of Germany called Heildberghausen, and they move into the small castle of Eisenhausen. There, they are protected by the Duke of Saxe-Halbernhausen. Like, the Duke writes a letter to, like, incoming, incoming government officials at some point basically saying, leave them alone, be good to them on their rent because they're renting the property. They'll take care of you. The end. No further questions. I heard once that there was a local priest that knew who they were. However, I can't find that source. So take it with a bowl of salt, I guess. <laughs> I mean, all right. <laughs> right. Okay. So the count goes by the name Vival de Versailles, and his female companion simply goes by Sophie. However, when he speaks to her, he only refers to her as Your Grace and only speaks to her in French. She is never seen outside without a very thick, very dark veil or in a closed carriage, also sporting the very dark veil so you can never see her face so she is gothic af oh yes like black on black on black on black huge fan of of some like probably Marilyn manson type stuff um whatever i don't know he wasn't around back then or maybe he was he could be a vampire we don't know anyway when she so so they live live there they live in eisenhausen for right around 30 years they are incredibly good to the staff they pay the staff like exponentially more than you would be in an, in another house of the same stature but they're incredibly secretive they rarely speak to anybody outside the home i think a couple times maybe in the market he spoke but she never did she dies He very hurriedly buries her, probably without religious services, and then promptly, and I mean like promptly burns all of her stuff. Perfectly natural, perfectly healthy. As you do. Um, One source that I read years ago, and I, I don't remember if it was a book or another online article or something, but I couldn't find it. To, to cite it today but I do like this detail specifically stands out to me she had a maid who she um tr- like very much trusted who probably did her hair like a lady's maid mm-hmm. um she has said to have said that she once saw a lock of hair that she was told was Marie Antoinette's and along with one of her jewels I don't know how familiar you are with Marie Antoinette, but when um, stuff was starting to hit the fan before they were imprisoned, she started sending her jewels and her like favored belongings to her friends around Europe for protection and other reasons. Like she just didn't want them to fall into the hands of the you know the revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. So um, 
it's possible that this woman was a friend. We don't know. Um, <laughs> but when she dies, the Duke, like I said, he very hurriedly buries her and he simply refers to her as Sophia Bota. When questioned who she really was, he said she was just a woman from, I'm going to butcher this name. I'm so sorry to people who actually know how to pronounce it right. <laughs> um, he says she is just a woman from Westphalia. It's in northwestern Germany. Nothing is like ever confirmed for her, ever. No one has the foggiest idea who she is. It has since been confirmed that his name was, in fact, not Count Vival de Versailles, but he is <laughs> Leonardus Cornelius van der Flack. He was a Dutchman that worked his way to France, served in the French Republic Army, served as a diplomat, and as a young person was a lawyer. Sometime between meeting Sophie and moving to Eisenhausen, he was supposed to have gone to Fianna to meet with the Russian emperor. Whether that event ever happened, we're unsure of if it did and why. Like, why would a random diplomat, a.k.a. kind of a nobody, mm -hmm. be meeting with the Russian emperor in Vienna? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. He is said to be independently wealthy due to an inheritance, I believe, from his grandmother. So people believe that he, and there's like, this is confirmed now with, through documentation that he was, he did receive an inheritance. There's like solicitor's letters and things like that that are still in record. They believe that that's how he was able to afford the castle and the protection of the duke. Another belief about him is that it's possible he was spying for the Allied forces against Napoleon. Because the area of Germany they were in was like a hotbed of espionage, very similar to Spain. <laughs> in your Eileen story. Oh, yeah. um, maybe that's why he met with the Russian emperor. We're not really sure. But there is a huge contingent of people, like a subgenre of people, that believe she was really the important one, not him. That she was really the lost princess of France. So this is very like Princess Anastasia. Yes. Okay. So one theory goes that she had this playmate who... In, in a lot of what I've read, and I've read, I've devoured so much re-Antoinette information over the years, but a lot of what I've read is that this particular playmate looked a lot like Maria Therese. And it's possible that she is actually the illegitimate daughter of the king. Probably not because of how pious he was. He took his vows and his oaths to his wife very seriously, so the, I, I doubt that he she was illegitimate. However... She did, her name was Ernestine. She did get adopted into the Queen's household. She was raised with Maria Therese. She was educated the same as Maria Therese. And a lot of people said they looked a lot alike. So one belief is that when she left the prison, they exchanged roles. That Ernestine went to live the, the public life that Maria Therese did go on to live. And that Maria Therese went into seclusion and this is her. Hmm. That theory was disproved in 2013. How was or, it disproved? They dug up her body. <laughs> so in 1873, after the Count dies, which it, I, I meant to say this earlier, when the Count died is when some of the information about him came out because obviously he died without burning his own records. So there were a few things remaining that gave off his name and, and some of his life information. I would say within 20 years of his death, they demolished the castle he lived in. I have no idea why. I don't know if it had fallen into disrepair, if people just didn't live there anymore. I don't know the story, but they demolished it. However, they did not demolish her tomb. She was buried in like a garden hillside not too far from the castle. So in 2013, they, 
authorities and scientists, forensic scientists, dug her up and matched her DNA to the <laughs> maternal descendant of Marie Antoinette's sister, His Royal Highness Prince Alexander of Saxe Giuseppe. They were not a match. So, this woman is not Maria Therese. Would she, some, for whatever reason, be Ernestine? Maybe. But that doesn't really make sense. There are records of Ernestine going on later and getting married and living a life and dying. So that doesn't really check out. So it's just some rando who, like, posed as her? Maybe. Um, Reddit had some really great comments from people that were, like, suspicious. <laughs> super sus about perhaps she was kidnapped because at one point I'm going to pull up the exact quote the count says something to the effect of at, shortly after she died he says my relationship with her was something romantic similar to an abduction however wow so he, lovely right but here's the interesting thing about that comment. He, in her life, continually told people they were not lovers, they were not married, he was her protector, her guardian. That was it. She died roughly 60 years old, which, interestingly enough, would have been Maria Teresa's age. Okay. If you want to believe that theory. The other theory that they think could have been was that she might have been some very rich merchant in the nearby area's daughter, and he kind of just absconded with her. That that would check. I mean, we know nothing about Bra. Right. And like everything we do know, by all accounts, he seems like a pretty cool dude, except for when you hear that comment. My connection with her was something akin to an abduction. You know, and maybe we don't have the full quote. Maybe it was, she stole my heart. Which I want to believe because he also had this to say. She was a poor orphan who owed everything she had to me, but she paid it back a thousand times. So it makes me think that he means to say, like, he can't go on without her. Like, she is his confidant, his companion, and now that she's gone he he can't he can't move on okay i mean yeah that would that would check that's how that's how hubs would talk about me right like he also is several years older than her so there's one theory that suggests that perhaps this girl is his daughter because there was a leonard leonardus vanderflack that did marry and did have a child in the same time frame but that doesn't really check either. Like, why do you need to hide her face? <laughs> I mean, like, you really need to watch Syphilis. the English. Yeah, that's where I was going. You really need to watch the English. Syphilis. Syphilis. So the the one of the funnest things about this mystery to me is that the people of the village today absolutely did not want her dug up. Um, they demanded that if she if that be the thing that must happen, that she be it be done respectfully and done like with the utmost care. And there, because their life has been completely surrounded in secrecy, the, the tourism that comes to that town simply to find them is astronomical for them. That's like, you know, snow here in Sonora when Dodge is finally running. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the same thing, I think. So it's interesting to me that we still don't know who she is and we probably never will. We know who he is, but even if like just playing the devil's advocate here, even if by some chance it all checks out that she was Maria Therese, how did she get in with a low ranking diplomat? <laughs> who You're decided at a bar. To... <laughs> and I mean, after one ale, one thing leads to another and you think, you know, he's better than my current bodyguard. He's got I mean, that older daddy vibe going. He speaks French. He calls me your grace as I should be addressed. 
These are things. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. I don't know, but I love the idea that even this many years later, we still have no clue who she is. And that even people like Queen Mary of Hanover believed who she thought. Like, she had a theory that she was the missing princess of Condé, which I think is really interesting. I have no idea who she's talking about because I have yet to find the missing princess of Condé, but... I think it's interesting that her story has like permeated so many strange circles of people that all collect together to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know who she is. But what if she was just super goth and wanted to stay in her veil? Yeah. Or had syphilis. I mean, that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just one reason's as good as another. Right. <laughs> now, The legacy of this was besides them digging her up and confirming she was not of the royal bourbon line, you can actually test your DNA against her DNA to find out if she is part of your family. So there you go. Okay. (laughs) She ain't one of ours. She's not one of mine, but she might be one of Ian's. Ian's related to everybody, though. Let's be honest. Which is probably why she's related to him and not me. My blood is so ridiculous that it can't be that cool. Yeah, I mean, at least you're not as unrelated to anybody else as a Habsburg. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I do not have the Habsburg chin, if you will. Um... I can safely say that my parents are separated by at least 14 generations. Success. I've got that that going for me. Why do I know that? Because I know that. (laughs) So there you go. There's my 2013 fangirl. Um, P.S. There is no new information. All of my sources predate 2018. Dang. Yeah, I know. It's pretty fun. So there you have it. You ready for mine? I'm so ready for yours. So I started researching one story and in the process of it, I was on the National Park Service website reading articles. First off, they have articles and there was a throwaway line and I went, wait, go back one, go back one. Okay. What is that? <laughs> what? You didn't hyperlink to this weird, obscure factoid you're just going to throw out? Like what? And so it led me down a a very dark path, not a dark path, where I got to learn all about the pig war between America and England. The pig, like pig, pig, P-I-G, as in (gasps) oink, oink. Oh, how exciting. Okay, so my sources are a historic-uk.com article, an article by the National Park Service, and... Uh, a very robust podcast that was done on this by the dollop. I'm sorry. Hold on. The fact that one of your sources is the National Park Service has me asking so many mental questions right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And when we get all the way to the very end and I get to quote the National Park Service article, you're going to be like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So uh, 1846. The Oregon Treaty was just signed. So everything north of the Columbia River, you know, so the thing that separates Oregon from Washington. Uh, you mean uh, the o- Oregon or we're too far north for that? We're, we're much further. So the, just <laughs> Portland. Okay. okay like just it. north of Portland. Okay. <laughs> um, becomes the American territory. Okay. Okay. So the area that I am currently on was... British territory until 1846. And so it went, it went all the way from the river to the 49th parallel. Okay. Okay. And that line is going to be very important. Okay. Okay. So before this treaty, Washington state, as it's known now, the British called it the Columbia department, which is just an incredible name. It should have stayed. I personally would have preferred I don't want to be a state. The Columbia department's fine with me. Thank you very much. Um, But it became the Washington Territory. Is that what you're going to refer to it from now on? And I'm going to say make (laughs) it British again. (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) Okay. Um, So when you think about splitting up land, 
the 49th parallel seems really cut and dry, right? It's just a straight line. You look on a map, you see a globe, you're like, oh yeah, straight line goes right across Canada. No bigs. Okay. Well, the problem becomes complicated when you carry that line out West because there's this set of islands set to the Southwest of Canada or Vancouver, you know, the, what the Canada one. Um, and that's the region that this is going to make, this is kind of centered on. Okay. Okay. So the treaty just said, you know, the, the border would be through quote, the middle channel or the middle of the channel separating the continent from Vancouver's Island. The problem is it's a cluster of channels. It's not evenly divided and it's just so like ambiguous like were you looking at a map when you wrote this line about where this line is like probably not do you just not care were you in london at the time after a couple of pies and you went 49th parallel good enough done okay so the problem exists with the biggest one of the islands so the whole san juan islands are, are an issue in general but the San Juan Island, the largest one, is deemed, apparently you can have strategic islands because this one is the most strategic and it's at the mouth of the channel. And so both countries are like, it's mine, Dibby's, Dibby's, it's mine. And I liked it. Yep. <laughs> I put a flag here first. And both countries have people living there. So it's do. just awkward as all hell. Okay. So 1845. The Hudson's Bay Company that was based at Fort Victoria, they claimed San Juan Island. They're like, it is ours. We are doing it here. Um, I want to I back up a second because I actually live just down the street. Well, not down the street anymore, but um, I live fairly close to Fort Vancouver. Did you, did you end up driving by when you were here? I might have um, because that sounds really familiar, but I don't know why. Okay, so it is off of one of the highways um and you see like this big wooden fort and then out of the wooden walls you see two small wooden homestead looking houses it's very quaint looking and you know that it's a recreation because it just like what am i looking at is this well, anywhere near the river with the bridges yes which i assume is a Columbia. Yes. okay 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 so when i was i was visiting there one of the times they had a bunch of reenactors there and uh getting to like inner inner act with them and kind of see things and, you know, really enjoy it. I learned a bit about the Hudson's Bay company or the HBC, <laughs> if you will. Mm. Right. Okay. So first off, <laughs> we all assume like the HBC is just like, well, that's the old timey thing where they, they trapped first as of 2022, it's the majority owner of Saks and Saks off fifth. Really? Yeah. So it is thriving. It is still doing well. Okay. So Good this on them. But I just figured I'd pull that fun thread because I was like, wait a minute, I should bring up this fun fact about the HBC that I've got right in my back pocket. Okay. Because like I'm imagining the hall of founders goes from people wearing fur hats to people wearing Armani suits. I mean, you're I I don't think you're far you're you're wrong. I kind of. <laughs> But I, I just like, oh, okay. I, yeah. Okay. So back to 15 or 1851, uh, the HBC establishes salmon curing stations along the Western shore of this Island because they're like, it is ours. We are claiming it. We are setting up shop here. Um, by 1853, the Washington territory, you know, so just two years later has claimed it as one of their possessions. They're like, it is one of ours. It really is. But the HBC, as a rebuttal, they established the Bellevue Sheep Farm. And they're like... Because it, that's what you do. It's it's really ours. I mean, you call it what you will, but uh, they move in a flock of 13,000 sheep or 1,300 sheep. And within a couple of years, it moves to 4,500. So it's not doing too shabby. Okay birthing seasons have been good yeah or lambing season i think it's called lambing season make it up and just go with it and i'm just gonna follow right along i'm gonna go with that <laughs> okay final answer so the national park service 
when they're talking about it, they're saying that the island's good, beautiful, bountiful soil uh, was cited in the Northwest Boundary Survey. And naturalists quickly circulated this. And American settlers that were on the mainland just shoot off to these islands. Now, we get some interesting mixed reports of how people got along. So my fun British source, the historic UK, they said everyone coexisted well. We've got reports of, you know, people talking about, you know, in their diaries about how well they coexisted. Meanwhile, um, American sources talk about how contentious things were. That sounds right. That totally checks out. Yeah. For every British colony ever. (laughs) I mean, I, I can't say I disagree. So when you look at like by spring of 1859, we have about 18 Americans that are settled there. And they're on these prime HBC sheep, sheep grazing lands. Okay. Okay. And the, they expected the government, the U.S. government, to recognize their validity. But the British considered their claims as illegal. They're thinking these guys are basically nothing more than squatters and trespassers. Okay. Okay. So things are super chill. Um, <laughs> Perfect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And to make matters worse, it's about this time that uh, some man on on the Washington Territory mainland decides that he's going to go to this island and he's going to tax the settlers, including the British colonists or as settler, the British settlers. So that random factoid is what got me going down this fun this fun rabbit hole. Okay. So now on June 15th, 1859, there is a pig belonging to a, a British settler that accidentally wanders into the land of Lyman Cutler. And this guy's an American I'm sorry, farmer. Lyman Cutler? Lyman. So L-Y-M-A-N. Lyman. That might be my favorite name. Okay. Okay. Uh, and when Cutler noticed this pig eating some of his potatoes, he flies into a fit of rage and just kills the pig. Now, some sources say that Cutler only fenced three sides of his field, so it feels like not fencing that fourth end was just bait. Yeah. You're bad, buddy. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Why didn't I have questions? Why did why did he not fence the? That doesn't make sense. You it's either keep... it's either he intentionally didn't fence the fourth side, or maybe it was a triangular shaped field, which I don't know if that's a thing. I feel like I would need to see the land, like that. It could just be a triangle shaped plot. I don't know, but if you're gonna have like a traditional field, as I'm thinking of it, that's four sides, usually. So this pig's owned by a British employee. Or a British a British person who's an employee of the Hudson Bay Company named Charles Griffin. And Griffin owned quite a few pigs. And he's known for just letting them roam freely. You can just go where the hell you want. And so this problem... I mean, like, are you going to tell the pig no? Maybe he should have had four sides to his fence. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so likely this pig, like, had been on, on Cutler's land before. All right? And then, you know, good fences, good neighbors. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So... Griffin found out about the death of his pig and he goes and he does the logical thing and confronts Cutler. Now, according to some sketchy reports, the conversation went as follows. Cutler. But it was eating my potatoes. Griffin. Rubbish. It's up to you to keep your potatoes out of my pig. <laughs> I feel like we're victim blaming. A little bit. Um, but Cutler did, however, you know, offer Griffin a sum of $10 for this dead pig. And that he was reasonable at the time. I mean, I did the research and that $10 in today's money, you want to make a guess? More than $8. So he can probably buy a burrito. Oh, he can do he can do more than buy a burrito. Okay. I'm going to say go ahead. I was going to say I was going to say 150 to 200. So, okay. $357.59. But then wow, I went okay. deeper and I was like, okay, so but what do pigs today go for? Right. So if you're if you're being offered 360, you know, what is the pig? And so some website called familyfarmlivestock.com, it sounded legit. I mean, it had the domain authority as far as I was concerned. 
it said it's a pick for today goes for 250 to 500 unless you're looking for breeding stock in which case you're looking for something up to 2k oh wow and i didn't i didn't realize a breeder was was worth that much but i mean these are things um i mean at least your source isn't reddit because that that's mine so you know there's always next week (laughs) (laughs) that's true (laughs) so griffin is refused you know or cutler refuses griffin's 10 bucks and griffin tells the the british authorities like hey this dude just killed my pig and they threatened to arrest Cutler and being completely res- reasonable, they also threatened to evict all of the Americans. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like saying everyone coexisted quite well, bit of a misnomer at this point. Feeling like they were looking for a reason to get rid of the Americans. I think that's still the case. I think feel like they might still have some animosity about that little thing that happened in 1776. You know, just because we got drunk and threw a bunch of stuff off of a boat and voted for coffee. Doesn't mean you should really be mad at us. I mean, right. Water under the bridge. Or under the boat. Right. Anyhow, the Americans, (laughs) they draw up a petition and they're requesting the U.S. military's protection. Right. So great. Well, this petition goes to a very level-headed, calm man with (laughs) a history that shows that he is known for thinking twice about what he's doing and making educated decisions. So General William S. Harvey, the commander of the Department of Oregon, brought is a loose cannon of history if you've ever had one. At one point... (laughs) He invades Mexico, disobeying direct orders, is court-martialed, but is seen as so patriotic that they let it slide. Uh, Well, you know, I'm going to assume that at this point in history, this is when Mexico is going through its, like, 54 presidents in, like, a two-year time span, so probably wasn't even noticed. Perhaps. But either way, Harney's uh, anti-British views, they're well-known. And without so much as a second thought, he just sends the U.S. 9th Infantry to San Juan on July 27th. It's only 66 men. So that seems small to me, but maybe I'm thinking about this wrong. But they decide to be completely level-headed, and they set up camp near the HBC Wharf on Griffin Bay, just north of the sheep farm that's owned by the HBC. Okay. So... They're definitely not being the the brother in this thing. Not touching you. Not touching you. <laughs> I'm not. I'm sitting on the other side. Mm-hmm. This causes the governor of British Columbia, James Douglas, who is also another level-headed human, <laughs> to send... When the- you say that, I think you're being facetious. <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Quite possibly. Um <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I might be wrong. You don't know. James Douglas, he's going to he's going to show he's going to show up by sending three warships. <laughs> and so this kicks off a, a month of both sides posturing, um, despite the U.S. only having 66 men. So this feels like like they could math this out. But I mean, you roll them dice, but math's going to win. Usually. The warships during this posturing are doing great things like firing off their cannons just for the tourists who seem to be rather excited and amused by this whole. Um, James Douglas, he's like, I want action. I want them ships to take out this. Like, And the captain of the first warship refuses to act until the rear admiral, Lambert Baines, shows up. Like, this guy is the commander of the British naval forces. He's like, I, nope, nope, I want my boss here. I'm going to CC him on this email, and I'm <laughs> not going to do this until he gives me the go-ahead. I think you need to be escalated to level two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hold, please. <laughs> and so finally, Admiral Baines, the commander-in-chief of the British Navy in the Pacific, shows up. And when he arrives, James Douglas orders Baines to land his troops on San Juan Island and engage the 9th Infantry. 
Baines is like, nope. And he famously stated that he would not, quote, involve two great nations in a war over a squabble about a pig. We're already here, brah. Yeah, but like nobody, nobody's died yet except for the pig. And so he's just like, nope, not, not doing this. And it's about this time that word finally reaches Washington, D.C. and London about this escalating crisis. And so officials on both sides are shocked that a dispute over a pig has led to a standoff involving three warships, 84 guns and over 2,600 men. Like this has gotten to epic proportions. So both sides are concerned that this is about to escalate further and they start quickly begin negotiations. Eventually they decide that both the U.S. and Britain should maintain the present. No more, no more than 100 men. You know, 101, you're off the island until we can reach a formal agreement. Okay. The British set up a camp on the north side of the island. The Americans set up a a camp on the south of the island. And over the next 12 years, both countries maintain a presence there. And then in 1872, there is an international convention or commission led by William or Kaiser William I of Germany. Yeah. Like, like. Yes, like another <laughs> foreign power weighs in on this. This commission meets for so a this year. is really the beginning of World War One. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, so they meet for almost a year in Geneva, and by the end of it, the Kaiser decides that the island should go to entirely under American control, and that, and then the entire dispute laid to rest. Boom! Problem solved. Yep. And so today there is a, na- a national historic park on the island and you can go and you can visit both camps, both the American and the British side. And it is the only place in a U.S. national park where a foreign flag is regularly hosted ho- or hoisted on U.S. soil. Both the flag and the flagpole were provided by the British government as a sign of friendship. If that ain't <laughs> some snark, I don't know what is. This is why I love history so much. <laughs> yeah. Because you know this caused, like, headaches. Like, in one ear and out the other for months and months and months and to the point where Germany has to get involved. When Germany has to get involved. When Germany has to mediate. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> Petty history is my favorite history. I mean, and then for the British go, we got you a flagpole. And you know what? We're also going to give you a flag. Here you go. Here's the Union Jack. We it's expect yours. you to fly it. Enjoy. I know. <laughs> what What happened to the original problems of this? Like the, the pig owner and the other farmer? I think their trauma just gets kind of lost in the mix, right? Because <laughs> I'm sure at some point it was, listen, Bonehead, you should have put up an extra side of your fence. Listen, meatheads, you should have corralled your animals. Should have taken my 10 bucks. This problem would have been solved. (laughs) You know, there's a lot that 360 bucks will solve nowadays. Could have bought a new pig. Wouldn't have been a breeder. And I think that was, Cutler was actually upset. He's like, not for this pig, it's worth more. So I think maybe he was assuming his pig was, you know, one of them five grand dealies. And Griffin was just like eat a brick you're not gonna get that all right but 10 bucks is my limit here and i'll fix your fence like oh wait can you imagine having to tell your like come in your house and have to tell your family that there are three warships in your yard because you accidentally killed the neighbor's pig i don't know if you can say the words accidentally when well that's true i killed the neighbor's pig and now there's three warships in the yard like so when cutler 
runs out into his front yard. He sees, bizarrely enough, a Hawaiian man pointing at the pig laughing. (laughs) The plot thickens. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think it was, you know, the dang pigs in my field again, mixed with being mocked as the pig is eating your food. And I bet you the whole time the Hawaiian man's like, we just bury it with some rocks and have a luau. Oh my gosh. We just, hey, come with me here. This will be great. You know, you and I, we got a great thing going. Yeah. We like, we could feed the whole neighborhood for like a week. Oh, it'd be so good. It would be so tasty. You know, I didn't, I, I honestly, a Hawaiian man standing in the yard laughing was the last thing I thought I was going to hear. I mean, and it was one of those things like, I didn't include, like, I knew that narrative, but I didn't include it in, like, the whole body of the thing, because this story could have been so much longer, but then it would have been, wait, who? Who? I need the diagram. Who are we talking about? You draw me a picture. (laughs) Right. You know, because it was just, like, I could have gone into all of the background of James Harvey, or um, was it James Harvey? Harney. It's Harney, the guy from Oregon, or, like, James Douglas from, from, um, Canada from Vancouver Island he had a a very colorful history as well and so it's just like I mean I could have gone into all of this all of these guys are such characters and they just coalesce on this whole story you're like what like going into like the specific tax man and him getting in trouble with (laughs) like who goes you know I don't know if that's our land or not but hey you owe me five bucks Hmm. make it ten I've got a pig. It's my neighbor's pig, but it's delicious. You should take this pig. <laughs> then it'll be your problem, not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he took your pig as taxes. Sorry, sir. He thought it was mine. Weird. Maybe you should put up a fence. Talk to the Hawaiian. He knows everything. They usually do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is... Oh, petty history is my favorite favorite history like the men folk are funny agreed <laughs> agreed because you know the wife is like i told you you just needed a fourth side on that fence i have been <laughs> saying it i'm going to say it again because apparently you didn't hear me the first 622 times i said it but do you remember last week when i said the hole in the fence <laughs> by you the know, hole i meant the entire wide. side <laughs> I know you want me to stop nagging, but hear me out. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. There are three warships in the yard now. Whose fault is this? <laughs> <laughs> this is your fault, Dave. <laughs> oh, God. That might be my favorite story ever. Not oh, nearly as funny, but Ian hit me with a fact the other day. I don't remember the year, but it does involve a pig. I want to say it was in the 1500s. A pig killed this is this part is sad but a pig killed a child and they because french people are extra they put it on trial they found it guilty and then they hung it to my knowledge it's the only pig to be um executed i feel like there were other animals that were executed like i could research that for you but i feel like there have been multiple animals throughout history that have been tried i i feel like that too because it's so off the wall that you know that like somebody got that idea from somewhere there was a precedent and it wasn't that you know we couldn't just i don't know kill the pig like you normally kill the pig and then eat it we had to try it first and then hang it to death yeah i mean and i don't know if you've seen a pig's neck it's basically their middle section like how that was immediately what I thought. Like, how long did that pig have to hang there? Like, you, they don't have a neck, per se. No, they're like Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's no pig. There's no neck. Just muscle. Speaking of pig, it smells... My husband's making carnitas. <laughs> did he do that because because of the Great Pig War? <laughs> no, he didn't. This was a surprisingly, like... so Serendipitous we... dinner? 
<laughs> yeah, we do this thing where um, to help expand kiddos palette, we get these boxes. They're called Eat to Explore. And every month, this isn't a this isn't a promo. This is not, we are not sponsored. We could be. Um, <clears throat> we get by Eat to Explore. And Eat to Explore, they'll send us a box a month. And in the box, it has like a couple of recipes, some spices, um, and some facts about the country that you're you're eating their food of. Um, that's awesome. And the month that we're on right now is Mexico. And so it's like, okay, and got all of the ingredients. So hubs made carnitas. And so now I've been talking about pig. I can smell pig. Pig <laughs> sounds fantastic. I've made good life choices. You have, we are not having pig, but we are having tacos. It's not even Tuesday. We do not let the world hold us down like that. I appreciate this. Well done. Thank you. Sometimes we have tacos for breakfast. Breakfast tacos are a thing. In our house, they are, yeah. You do like the eggs, potatoes, you just serve them in a He likes tortilla. like uh, like the sausage links. Yeah. And like the cheese. He'll put, he loves hot sauce, so he Owen puts hot sauce on everything. Um, and then he sometimes, if dad's home, he'll put eggs on it. If dad's not home, he requests square one inch cubes of cheese because I won't fight battles like that. And I will just cut you square one inch cubes of cheese. Um, and then he eats it like a taco. Just cheese and hot sauce. Cheese, hot sauce, and sausage. ever be supported. I'm going to tell you, this kid is going to have a head of hair for life. And iron-clad bowels. He has no, like, there's yet to be a spicy food that he's met and been like, yeah, I'm not eating that. Dang. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you mind if I <laughs> drop us off with uh, where they can find us online? Hit us. Okay. So we are a variety of places online. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at unhinged.history. And if you want to email us we would love it we're at unhinged.historypod at gmail.com send us your love letters or the ones you type only with middle fingers either way we're we're here for both we're here for you however you want to be there for us (laughs) we'll send three warships just saying yeah roll them dice yeah live your best life or don't. We love that way. for you. <laughs> oh my word. Bye friends. Bye. Bye.